Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Have you followed the latest threat to the galaxy? We're talking about everything from Jedi to, yes, you can imagine, Star Wars. The latest installment of Star Wars in an episode series show. We're going to unpack with Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending some of the what he calls underwhelming elements of the show also we'll dive into the theology of the body series talking about everything including this idea of reconciling is it okay for there to be such a thing as erotic love eros that passionate desirous love it's actually a fascinating commentary that pope saint john paul ii gives on eros and what is erotic and just this reconciling of our fallen human nature those things we struggle with that we desire but purifying them not completely throwing them out the door in relation to what god created our bodies for it'll be a riveting conversation here on trending along with gentlemen listen up what helps keep keep a wife from being jealous i think this is a great great topic and it's something that i think calls into question accountability when it comes to behavior so we'll talk about what helps prevent jealousy in your wife if that's something your wife struggled with and ladies you're welcome to join in on this topic as well the number for the show today if you have a question is 888-914-9149 again that's 888-914-9149 maybe you saw the latest show star wars ahsoka i think i'm saying that right i have not seen it yet but i was talking to father tim last night and he said that he's been watching the show and he's rather underwhelmed. He has some keen thoughts on the male-female side of the show. If you saw the show and would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Again, that number is 888-914-9149. Joining me now is Father Tim Grumbach from Bishop Alamany High School. He is the chaplain there in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles working with the high school students. Father Tim, let's talk about the latest Star Wars show. What made you watch it with all of the sequels prequels origin stories what led you to still be interested in the star wars show because i hear a lot of people who are getting a little overwhelmed by maybe too much content and what did you think about it yeah for me being a part of the star wars community is just that it's a community and so a lot of my (laughs) deepest friendships we will get together we'll watch star wars we'll talk about the shows not that our friendship is built on that but it's a it's a fun part of it um, and ever since Disney took over Star Wars, um, we call it, at least I call it Disney Star Wars now. And it's, it definitely has a different feel to it over the last few years or so. But uh, those of us who you know, enjoy spending time at Disneyland together will also you know, spend a lot of time doing Dis- uh, Star Wars things together. So there's a, there's a big community aspect of it. And uh, there's kind of a joke about uh, Star Wars fans, especially over the last decade or two is that you're not a real Star Wars fan unless you really hate Star Wars too. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a bit of an exaggeration, but you know, there, there are some directions that they've gone that you could, you could say you know, they've followed certain agendas 
that have gotten away from what made Star Wars great at the beginning that uh, that have led in, into different ways that, uh, you know, the storytelling just isn't, um, you know, as, as sharp, I guess you could say. Uh, some of the world building is still there. But uh, especially with this Ahsoka series, and, and yes, you are, you are pronouncing it correctly. It's, a, it's an interesting word, but uh, Ahsoka Tano is kind of becoming the main character of Star Wars through this series. And, uh, and she has been a part of Star Wars lore for a few years now. And now that she has her own television series, that's, that's what's been most exciting for us to see the characters that we know from books and from cartoons and to see them in live action and to hope for a a version of them that is just as much alive, but, you know, different, but just as much alive as the cartoons. And I would say that that's a little bit of what draws me to it. But also what I'm overwhelmed by is a lot of people will be so excited. We laugh about it. It's like, you know, you jingling keys at us. Like here, here's catch, you know, here's your attention. Here's, here are the <laughs> characters you wanted to see. And they're, they're, they're all your favorites from the cartoons. Um, but that's not been enough for me and for a lot of Star Wars fans. We need more than key jangling. We need some depth to these characters. And we, we feel we haven't really gotten them over this television series. Does it feel like many other shows and movies lately, like you said, they kind of dangle the keys at you. Here's that character you really want to see. You're going to keep watching maybe the whole time or at least for a little while because it has that character. But the whole time there's just, it's almost as if they're producing content for the sake of producing content with that overlying mm -hmm. agenda. There's no such thing as a difference between male and female. Maybe there are political overarching themes in it as well. Do you feel that way? I, I very much feel that way, and I don't want to take it away from anybody who is enjoying the series. I, I hope that they can continue to enjoy it, but uh, uh, but it's it's that key jangling. It's it's the um, you know the the lack of depth of story that's kind of uh, underwhelming for me. And um, as I mentioned, yeah, the, there's little difference between male and female characters right now. Um, it can be argued against that, but I've been trying to figure out with you know. One of the big promotions for Ahsoka is that it's like it, you know, the main characters are mostly uh, women, and and how exciting that must be for the Star Wars universe um, when you know one of the main main characters that has you know survived uh, as a character through so many decades already. You know, Princess Leia is this strong empowered uh, woman who also has a romantic relationship with a man, and uh, throughout the history of Star Wars. And yet they treat it as if women have never had a, a part to play in the Star Wars story. So there's this attempt to make these strong female characters in Ahsoka when, and, but I, I want to ask people like, could you replace them with men and there would be nothing different about the story? And I think you, you think you could say that. And so that, you know, I'm trying to figure out what actually makes these female characters women and strong women at that other than you know, the, their gender identification, I suppose, as the culture would put it now. So I'm a little bit let down. I would love to see them act more as women. And I don't know how I would write that, but I, I get the sense that, you know, these, this story was written with men, uh, and then they just replaced them with women and said, mm -hmm. you know, this is an all women, you know, hero cast. And I, <laughs> it just doesn't strike me as, as being particularly feminine in any way. And it's a lie. That's not realistic. We don't have, 100% the men always being the ones who save the day or 100% the women. I think that's what's the problem with this whole quota for the types of films that we're seeing. And I love that you mentioned Father Tim Princess Leia, the original female character in the story of Star Wars 
had a feminine touch to her. She had a maternal, a loving touch. And even her interaction with the robots, right? Like R2-D2, for example, there's this humanizing element that she gives to something that's seemingly just a robot, and it is, but in this other world type of story in a fantasy story you have the story where there's that human dimension there's that loving interaction that she shows even the robot right and i think that that's something you see is radically different in much of the content we're consuming today is like you said it's almost as if it's a male character you just swap the name out and there's no feminine touch which is part of what we love about having both male and female characters. We love what is other. I love what is different in seeing male characters portrayed in a way that is different from me and my nature as a woman and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And as a Star Wars fan, I'm also a fan of other stories being told as well. And I see them told so well. I'm like, why can't they tell those kinds of stories in Star Wars now and at least tell it that well? And uh, right now, one of the biggest shows on streaming right now is actually on Netflix, and it's called One Piece. And I've been hearing such good things about it. And I, I just started watching the first couple of episodes. And it, again, it's something that, you know, viewer discretion is advised. There's some violence in it. It's, it's not uh, extremely gory as some shows are on streaming right now. Um, but, but as far as the story goes and the, the, their ability to tell a story with the difference between men and women, and I haven't gotten to the moment, but I heard that there's a moment where it's a, you know, one of the strongest male warriors in the story has a flashback. And as a boy, he is defeated by a girl and, and he is just so upset by it. And she recognizes, well, no, I can beat you now. That's the nature of things. But when you are a man, you will beat me in, in this kind of battle. And there's a, a reality to that is that he will grow stronger and that's a, a nature of things. And so they're not afraid to touch on that nature of things. And there's another character, kind of a mentor to the main character who says that uh, yeah, men must know how to be violent, but violence doesn't solve all things. A man needs to be violent sometimes, but before anything else, he must be good. I'm like, wow, a, a story that is telling men how to be men, how to use their aggression well and uh but to provide and to protect for but knowing that above all he must be good it's like that's a that's that's a story that star wars doesn't seem Mm -hmm. to be able to tell right now and i I just Mm -hmm. i feel much jealous that you know some other story is telling that story (laughs) and what's the show again for people who aren't watching this one on netflix it's called one piece and it is a again it's a live action remake of an anime cartoon which was again uh a, a um a version of a a comic a manga that uh, is very very much a japanese cultural uh, experience uh, and it's just to see another mm-hmm. show another universe being able to tell a story that as a live action remake of a cartoon and to do it so well it's like see i know what star wars is capable of doing but they seem to be driven by this agenda that won't let them tell these stories that actually uh, mm-hmm. encourage and strengthen young men but also reveal to women what makes them particularly feminine and strong in their own ways where the, women don't just need to be you know versions of men and yes. that seems to be the only story that star wars can tell at the moment i love that quote though that you just shared because i think it's very profound i'd like to drill down on it just a little bit mm-hmm. that line where you said men must know how to be violent but they don't always have to be violent all the time 
First, they must learn to be good. There is so much to unpack Mm -hmm. just in that small statement. If we could for a moment, because I think there's much to be said to that in the current culture we're living in, where to have a weapon is frowned upon, to talk about weapons. I mean, little boys from a very young age are being punished in schools if they dare to draw a sword fight or talk about a gun. And I think there's something deeply wrong about that because that understanding from a young age for a boy to learn how to protect it to be properly channeled i think is so important and it's primal in a young man when he becomes a man then yeah and it it calls to mind for me something right out of c.s lewis and the chronicles of narnia in the the lion the witch in the wardrobe uh where i think it's uh, uh susan is kind of questioning about aslan the great lion like oh is he safe and mr beaver says safe who said anything about safe He's a lion, uh, but he's good, right? He's, a, he's the king, but he's good. And so there's something that's not safe about Aslan, the great Christ figure. But before he is safe, he must be good. And so sometimes he is safe, but he is also willing to defend what needs defending. And uh, before anything else, he is good. Mm, I think that's an excellent observation and example with Aslan the lion. He doesn't use his like right his sound his violence his roar very often i can think of one point in particular in the series where he uses it to gain attention when there's chaos all around him but he doesn't use it in a disordered way yeah and that that's right about it being ordered into the right direction and kind of getting back into star wars and the way that men are portrayed in the stories and this might be a generalization or you know, you could probably pick out little examples here, but here's how, what it feels like being a man watching this show is that some of my favorite characters who are men from this Ahsoka series have been left out, uh, have not mm-hmm. been included. And when they have, they've, they've been underwhelming. Again, is there, that language is my favorite character in the Star Wars universe right now is Grand Admiral Thrawn and his big live action premiere. We've been waiting all season for it. We knew it was coming. We knew who the actor would be. And when he appears... He's, he's got a little bit of a, a dad bod. He uh, looks a little bit kind of like, not a great posture. And this character we've always known to be in very good shape and very dangerous physically, but especially mentally. And he doesn't really give any of that sense in this version of him. He, he looks kind of slumped over. He's got that dad bod. He doesn't seem that dangerous, even though they've been telling us without showing us that he's so dangerous. And then another character that shows up for the first time at the end of the re- most recent episode uh, he just kind of appears out of nowhere by like c- plot convenience instead of coming to rescue uh, one of the most important female characters in the show who is really in danger because that would that would not be the kind of message they want to send is that men saving women. Uh, I mean, that might be a generalization, but that's that's how it seems watching the show as a man right now. So instead of him showing up to protect this woman who's searching for him, she fights her way through the wilderness and and through all these plot conveniences, finds him. And he's just kind of standing there like, almost like, hey, what's up? How was your weekend? And they hadn't seen <laughs> each other in like 10 years. He's irrelevant. And so it was just embarrassing uh, writing uh, to see the way that, you know, we're, we're waiting for this great reunion between man and woman. And instead we get is, you know, she just kind of stumbles upon him and, and he hasn't been doing anything. <laughs> he <laughs> so, didn't exi- um, exist unless she saw yeah. him, right? Isn't right. that the story of male characters in the media mm-hmm. today? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, maybe we're just all you know, seeing what's not really there, but this is the way that a lot of men are seeing the story, the story mm-hmm. of Star Wars right now. And we can't ignore that. I, I think it's, a, we're not saying we don't want strong women. We just don't want bad writing. 
Oh, right. Or that every man is kind of just degraded in every show or movie. I find it boring. I enjoy mm-hmm. male characters and stories just as much as I enjoy female characters, sometimes even more so because we are interested in what is other, what is different. And I think that Hollywood will continue to receive a loud wake-up call as the days go on, but this is why we have to vote with our eyeballs, right? Like the content we're consuming, we really, based on what we actually consume, gives a good idea of whether or not something should continue to be made in a particular direction. That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Tim Ray. Father Tim, I do have a question for you. I know that you transitioned out of your iPhone into a light phone this summer. Can you share with me a little bit about what about how that's been? And maybe for those who don't know what a light phone is, share what a light phone is as well. Yeah, so a light phone is, uh, the language that's often used is it's a dumb phone as compared to the smartphones of like iPhones and Androids and things like that. And, uh, and so a light phone is a specific brand of these dumb phones, or some people would call them wise phones, right? The difference between a smartphone and a wise <laughs> phone uh, is, the, I suppose, the person who's using it. And um, <laughs> uh, gosh, it was, um, it, at times it feels a, a little bit more like a hindrance than a simplification of my life. And so, um, so it's, not, it's not an easy transition. And it feels, it feels like a penance because there are things that I, I can't do that I, I had available to me before. Um, such as the the ease of texting and the availability of email and and anything social media, um, but there are definitely moments where that that penance does a it does stretch my heart uh, quite a bit. But I, I do have to be aware and discern like is this something that is simplifying my life for the good or is it actually hindering my ability to connect with people and uh, and it does hinder at times and so it's still kind of an ongoing discernment. Would you say it hinders the way you're used to communicating with people or what uh, does that look like? Yeah, yeah, it hinders my ability to communicate uh, um, in such a way that my ministry is uh, is can be affected by it. Um, at least the way my ministry has has come about, uh, my ability to connect with my students uh, through uh, through the apps that are that we use for grading and 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 attendance and other things like that. And so, um, so it's not as easy to access those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, if I can find a way to simplify my ministry then the, uh, the, uh, the simplified phone would, would be much easier to use. Um, but it's, you know, the Lord doesn't always call us to what is easier. <laughs> right. um, and so, yeah, so it's an ongoing discernment. That's for we, sure. I'm curious because I know you've, you've been in this a couple of months. And again, it's like a thought experience or personal experience as well or experiment. Would you say that you maybe use those applications now on a computer instead and your time's a little more dedicated? Or was it easier to just kind of do it on the fly using these applications on your phone? Yeah, it, there was something easier about being able to use it on the fly. Like I could, I could go to go to Disneyland if I'm by myself, stand in line for an hour at a time, and do all my grading right then and there. You know? <laughs> That's convenient, oh, though. <laughs> Fun. Now my students know. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love yeah. it. Um, do you think that sometimes we're so busy that we are maybe multitasking too much, or do you think mm-hmm. that it? Like, because there's a combination, right? Like, there's a leisurely activity, but where you can pick up a little bit of work and do it while you're enjoying the leisurely activity. Or do you think we're trying to do too much? Like, I'm so curious because we're in this new normal of such a fast-moving society that is our technology really a tool that's helping us? Or is it maybe not allowing us to have that disconnect and leisure as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've certainly been uh, judging of those uh, who stand in line at Disneyland, like, like distracting themselves on Instagram or whatever it is. Like, well, you are in a place that is meant to distract you from the things of this life. And now you're distracting yourselves from the distractions. Um, mm-hmm. but, but again, I'll, I'll keep saying it, that, that continued discernment of, 
um, does my ministry need to be this way? Do I need to have mm-hmm. access to my work while I'm in a place where I'm supposed to be enjoying myself or, or I'm supposed to be with other people and friends? Um, and and that's, that's an important place to, um, to learn how to set the phone aside and, and just enjoy the company and the environment and the fun that's all around you. Um, but, you know, there's also the matter of convenience rather than um, distraction. And so that's the discernment mm-hmm. there. Uh, mm-hmm. Have our cell phones become a matter of, you know, it makes certain difficult things convenient and we can be more efficient. Or is it becoming a distraction from the people that are right in front of us and our ability to actually minister to these students? You know, does it save me time so I can spend time with the students face to face? Uh, or is it giving me a way to be distracted from having to look at them face to face? Am I serving them to the best of my ability or to the best of my convenience? Am I, am I loving them or simply avoiding conflict? So mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of discernment there about how we use our technology uh, as teachers. I love that you're trying it out, trying this light phone. If you're interested, you can find it at thelightphone.com. That's the L-I-G-H-T phone.com. If you're interested, it's another option. I've not checked it out. I usually recommend the Gab phone if you're looking for something for a kid, but you might look into the light phone as well. Check out what those resources are on that. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio. We'll be right back, and we will dive in with Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending into our Theology of the Body series. Today we're talking about Iran eroticism, rectifying the erotic with that potential of how God created us to begin with, and really kind of understanding the difference between function and desire and those primal desires that God wrote onto the human heart. We'll be right back here on Trending. Don't go away. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Do you ever have this experience where you really are desiring something? You desire it deeply. But what you actually want deep down inside doesn't quite reconcile with that desire you're experiencing. I think this is a human experience we all have, and we only notice it if I only notice it, if I take the time to ponder my desires, bring them into reality, bring them into the blueprint for what God has in store for my life or try to discern what he has in store for my life before acting. And this is what much of Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body has been all about. We've been really kind of nitpicking in a certain respect at this moment in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus challenges us as human beings, especially men, but we apply it to men and women, to understand that adultery isn't just that physical act of committing adultery, but God says whoever even looks at a woman to desire her, to lust after her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And right now, Pope St. John Paul II is focusing in on the dimension of the heart and the purifying of our desires. In fact, Pope St. John Paul II, as we explain these three catechetical talks, 47 through 49, which Pope St. John Paul II gave 133 of them over the course of five years, he says that pure, purity is a requirement of love. It is a dimension of the inner truth of love in man's heart. And I think that this is 
helping us to understand where Pope St. John Paul II starts to look at what does it mean to see erotic love, that kind of sense of eroticism that is often maybe from a Christian worldview uh, downgraded to just base carnal desires that are disordered. And Pope St. John Paul II is challenging us to think of it as more than that, to not just reduce it to base desires, but to reconcile our fallen human nature, essentially, with the deepest design God has for our hearts. So to talk about this now with me is Father Tim Grumbach. If you don't know Father Tim, he's been a longtime friend here at Trending with Timory, and he is the chaplain at uh, Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And Father Tim, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this segment of Theology of the Body, talking about erotic love and the redemption of the body. Now that you begin there with the purification of desires, because uh, St. John Paul II, uh, at the heart of his spirituality, was very Carmelite. He wrote his doctoral dissertation on faith in the writings of St. John of the Cross. And so very much you can find this Carmelite spirituality in his writings, uh, even in this this very philosophical writing of the theology of the body. And I actually just want to tie this real quickly to the gospel reading we just heard yesterday on sun, uh, this, the 25th Sunday of Ordinary Time uh, about the parable of the, the workers in the vineyard, and they come to the master expecting to receive more than they had agreed upon. And the master says, are you envious because I'm generous? Because he wants to give the same to the people who had only been working for an hour. And it's this desire to purify the hearts of those who had been working in the vineyard mm -hmm. all day because they were working to receive something rather than the joy of being able to work in the master's vineyard to begin with, that they had all day to work in the master's vineyard. And, and so with our own desires, do we desire what the master desires or just hope that he's kind of desiring the same thing we are? And mm -hmm. I was just making, you know, everyone listening is going to think the only thing I think about is Disneyland. But I was thinking from like a kid's <laughs> perspective, right? Um, are they doing the will of their parents when like every day a kid wants to go to Disneyland? But their parents are like, okay, we're going to go like on this one day in, in the summertime. And so that one day in the summertime, when they get to go to Disneyland, the, the children's will is the same as their parents' will. Does that mean that they're, they're good children all the time and their will is perfectly attuned to their parents? Oh, probably not, but it is for that one day. Uh, on the other hand, if the children are, instead of being like, I want my parents to want what I want, they go, I want what my parents want. And so they're finding out like, what chores do I have to do? Or I know this is pretty dramatic, right? <laughs> what do I have to do around the house daily so I can want what my parents want? I think we all want children to want that. but So there's that subtle distinction in the purification of our desires of do we just want God to want what we want and we can want anything or do we actually want what God wants? There's, there's a subtle distinction there, but there's a difference between you know, a conformity to God's will. We happen to want the same things at one moment in time or a uniformity to God's will. I want what God wants all the time. And so that's what I heard in the gospel. And that's what I'm hearing in this is this purification of our eros, our desires. And um, Pope Benedict XVI actually writes about this in his beautiful encyclical, uh, Deus Caritas Est, mm. God is Love, yeah. where he says that you know, Nietzsche said that Christianity had poisoned eros, had looked at its sensuality and said it was bad. And Benedict, you know, drawing from JP2, would say, no, it's quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. The world has poisoned Eros by making it only sensual. But Eros comes from God. It is a gift from God. It is a, 
uh, as as Plato said, it, you know, it draws the inner, the man inward toward all that is good, true, and beautiful, and that's the proper understanding of eros. And we can recognize it in our sexuality, but if only concupiscence, the the tend uh, the tending towards sinfulness that came with original sin, if that is uh, poisoning eros, it's going to become only sensual. We're only going to stop at the the surface level instead of realizing how the, the beauty of another person and, and sexual intimacy and attraction actually draws great things out of us. Mm. You're making me think back to kind of a Disney analogy, the classic Disney film Pinocchio, and there are still moral mm. messages taught. And I think of Pleasure Island in Pinocchio and how mm-hmm. on the surface, that's great. Go have fun. Go to this carnival. Go to this amusement park. But if that's all we indulge in from the tasty treats to the to the rides that go round and round ad nauseum, uh, we become a disfigured and disoriented uh, version of ourselves. And I think that's so significant when we see desire can be a good thing, but sometimes not right now. And sometimes not ever if it's a disorder desire. And that example you gave of a kid who always wants to go to Disneyland, but can only go in the summer with his parents, that helps to orient that there are other responsibilities. And there's something beautiful in waiting for that thing that we so deeply desire. For example, you know, bringing this to People often reduce theology of the body strictly to a se- sexual ethic, which is 100% not what it is. It is a, our human anthropology from a Catholic worldview that's so biblical. And so I think that that's key, even in that desire to be married, that desire for sexual intimacy, that those are things that are good in and of themselves to desire, but need to be engaged with in a rightly ordered way and waited for. Right. And all of it with the end of redemption in mind, the resurrection of the body. And JP2, much later on in the whole theology of the body, says we could do another whole set of catechesis about the resurrection of the body. And he does touch on it in the theology of the body. Uh, but uh, he focuses on human sexuality in this catechesis, which is what 133 uh, addresses, I think you said. Right. So um, so he could he could have done two or three times more. Uh, of these catechesis uh, to talk about the redemption of the body, saying that it is so much more than just a, a matter of rules, but you have to keep in mind the beginning, the way we were created, the way that sin has affected us and led us to only look at Eros from the perspective of sensual desire and on the surface, but also to know that it can be redeemed as well. And again, I would point to Benedict XVI's Deus Caritas Est, God is love, to show that Eros is a good thing. It is not poisoned by Christianity, but uh, but by Christ's redemption, it has made what it was meant to be all this time. But it requires also agape love, a, a pouring out, a self-oblation. Because if you have this Eros love, which is only about receiving and being, you know, kind of ecstatic, drawn out of ourselves, uh, it'll, our love will become poison because we have nowhere to let it go. But if you have this agape love, which pours out, then you will be able to receive the eros and give it away as agape. But you also can't have agape alone. You need eros love because if you keep giving yourself away but are not receiving any love, then you're going to dry up and, and become a, a desert. You can become poisonous to yourself. And so mm-hmm. Benedict, again, drawing on JP2, would say that you need the eros love, which draws us out of ourselves. Uh, and you need to, 
Yeah, and it needs to be purified by agape, which pours itself out. Mm -hmm. And likewise, you know, it's a cycle. Agape needs to be purified by eros as well. Mm -hmm. And so you can't have one without the other. And that's beginning with what JP2 has to say here about this purification of the desire of eros, which must go deeper than the sensual surface level pleasures that the world has poisoned eros with. And I will link on social media as well as in the episode notes to Deus Caritas, which is a fantastic, fantastic papal encyclical on God is love. And actually, it's so fitting because it was released on Christmas Day in Mm. 2005. And so it just gives us a glimpse of what this rather maybe hallmark holiday for many people has already begun now in the summer, just go to Costco. It's already all about Christmas and what it's really actually about and what actually warms and brightens up and lightens our heart at the core of that is that sacrificial love of Christ. That again, like you said, understanding in the letter is that reconciling Eros, passion, with at the same time that sacrificial love that the two go hand in hand. And I think that this is primal. It's primary. It's part of our origin story that we can't set aside and say, well, our origin story is just our fallen human nature. And so we need to look at the human body as base and problematic as Manichaeanism has in many respects done in saying the body is bad, but we can't just look at the body from a Freudian perspective that has a suspicion that everything at the end of the day is always sexual. And this is where Pope St. John Paul II, Father Tim, coins as you're talking about this phrase, ethos of redemption. That is this mode of operating that has to do with the redemption, the elevation, the raising up of the human body. In fact, Pope St. John Paul II in Talk 49 says, the the ethos of the body is realized through self-dominion, through temperance of the desire. So he's talking about how self-dominion and temperance is so necessary. In other words, we have to stop. We need to think about what we're looking at, what we're longing for, and purify that. This is why Jesus Christ appeals deeply to the human heart. He's calling us to conform the alliance between our fallen human desires and then bring the primary deepest desires of the human person into this original sense of intention and design as God intended, which is ultimately what will bring true and authentic happiness which isn't an emotion, but it's ultimately joy in the grace of Christ. And that's why it's only possible, Father Tim, through grace. Right. And, and the, <laughs> it's so only possible through grace because that means that it is Jesus loving through us. And any attempt to love others uh, apart from that is ultimately selfish, maybe not malicious, but selfish. Is there any way to love somebody as God has loved them on our own um, and not have it come back to you know benefiting me somehow? And so the only love that we're really deserving of is that love that is given to us through grace and that purification of our desires. We keep going back to that. And I love something here that JP2 says is that, uh, you know, what Jesus, Jesus's words are demanding. It demands mm-hmm. us to go to our interior life and to see you know, the selfish love. Am I loving others simply because I can get something out of it and, and feel some pleasure? Or is it because that person has been loved into being by God, and I'm responding to that. But he says that in Jesus's demands that we see that the human heart is above all the object of a call, not of an accusation. And we will hear that, uh, that command from Jesus not to look at another person with lust. Otherwise, we will have committed adultery toward them or against them. 
and feel the accusation of our hearts. Cause you know, I think we all know that look of another person of looking at someone that way, but is Jesus merely accusing us or is he calling us to something greater? And what does that demand of our hearts? It demands a lot of, uh, again, in the, in the Carmelite mystical tradition of a, a, uh, an active night of the soul where we set aside things that, uh, that are impure in our love. And it, but it also requires a passive experience where God does that work once we've done all the work that we could. So it demands a lot of us, but it is also God will be doing so much more work than we are in the purification of these desires. Part of what I love, actually, my favorite part, should I say, of Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body are the differences that he highlights between men and women. I think mm. this is part of the key underlying theme is this complementarity of persons. And I think that Pope St. John Paul II, in these few audiences that he gave, talks about how we as human people really need to know, love, and honor the value of men and the value of women, the differences of men and the differences of women. Otherwise, we fall prey to this depraved view of ourselves and others and to a depraved function, should I say, of how we function with ourselves and with others. And this is why Jesus is appealing to our heart. He's calling us to more, but he's calling us to a deeper understanding of ourselves. And I love you mentioned it's very Carmelite. It's this purification of desire by allowing God to consume and inform and form who we are. But with that, I think that theology of the body to really ponder this requires a slowing down of pace, this prayerful life, this contemplation that society completely dampens today. Right. It, it does take a slower pace to understand just at the surface level what John Paul II is saying because he speaks from such a, a high philosophical level uh, of morality and ethos. But then to understand how does it strike our hearts? How is it more than just philosophy that we study and memorize? How does it become lived in our lives in a concrete way? And it happens in the heart. He says that again near the end of this 49th uh, address. says that it, it, it happens, everything happens in the human heart. We've got to go deeper than the surface level of Eros as the world understands it. Because, and I love this, we are all unique and unrepeatable um, precisely because of our hearts. And so that is where it is decisive from within our hearts, not merely the actions that we perform and express ourselves with, but it all expresses something that's happening deep in our hearts. And it's easier to ignore that part of who we are and just live by the passions and the pleasures that this world has to offer us. And Jesus is not merely accusing us of falling into those passions and pleasures, but calling us to something greater than they can offer. Father Tim, it makes me think of how transformative theology of the body is when we take this look into sacred scripture, into the church's teaching, the challenge that God is posing. At the end of the day, this isn't just about adultery, and that's what Pope St. John Paul II is saying. This is why this is the second of the key biblical texts that he uses in theology of the body is the purity of desire, that integrity of self from attraction to desire to orientation, that we need to discern all of this so that it can be purified and elevated into the redemption of the body. St. Paul talks about is at the core of the mission of Jesus Christ. If you've been joining me for this theology of the body series and have enjoyed it, I'd love to hear how it's impacted you. I hope you're catching 
all the episodes of Theology of the Body at RelevantRadio.com or wherever you catch your podcasts on the Trending with Tim Ray podcast. We summarize all of these great talks with guests such as Father Tim Grumbach joining me in this series. And if you've enjoyed something or maybe you have a question about the Theology of the Body series or some of the texts, if you're reading along, let me know. Head over to RelevantRadio.com forward slash trending. You can send me an email there or online at Tim Ray. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E on social media. Father Tim, where can people find you now? I know you recently got off of Twitter, didn't you? Yeah, I, I blew up my Twitter. I, I may be back within <laughs> a few weeks, but for right now it doesn't exist and, and my life is the better for it. I'm not saying that will be the case for everybody, but, uh, but I'm still on Instagram, so go ahead and find me there. I'm trying to post a little bit more often now. Great. Well, tag Father Tim on Instagram if you'd like to follow him there. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're going to talk about what helps keep a wife from being jealous. Is it really about jealousy or is it a deeper need that sometimes just needs to be better understood? And Again, it's all about that accountability of how we're moving in our lives. I'll be right back here on Trending. talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Have you heard the news? Relevant Radio will be live and in person at the upcoming National Eucharistic Congress. I'll be there and we're inviting you to join us in person. Show up for Jesus at this once in a lifetime celebration, July 17th through 21st in Indianapolis. You can check out our travel packages for the Eucharistic Congress at relevantradio.com slash encounter. That's relevantradio.com slash encounter. I hope to see you there in person. Let's talk about jealousy, specifically jealousy for women. What helps keep a wife from being jealous? I think this is a great question, and it's a reason recently in conversations I've had with a friend who asked me not too long ago, what the core need is for a woman. And when I thought about it, I stand by the fact that I think it is a woman's need to be secure in her husband's love. This is very primal. It's a basic from the beginning of our lives. This is based in psychology. It's very, very clearly laid out that people struggle with everything from mental health crises to relational experiences to workplace environments when They don't have that most basic fundamental love from a parent when they do not continue to be affirmed unconditionally in the love of a parent. Now, transition this into marriage. When you're in marriage, you need to know and be confident in your spouse's love for you. But we live in a society that has normalized, I wouldn't say necessarily unfaithful behavior, but has normalized relationships between men and women that historically simply weren't a norm. In polite society, it used to be that there was more of a male-female separation. I'm not saying that men should be on one side of the church and women should be on the other, or that at social gatherings, women should be in one area and men should be in the other. That's not what I'm saying. But I think there are some key takeaways from this whole idea. And bear with me, because at the core of this is addressing jealousy of a wife, but it's not actually about jealousy. 
It's about meeting a woman's core need to be secure in her husband's love, about knowing and feeling that security. There are a lot of women who can say, I know that my husband loves me, but I don't always feel like he loves me because love is an action. And so although you can say you can make that lifelong commitment of marriage, sometimes that feeling is lacking and there's nothing wrong with needing to feel that tangible side of love. Now we could go too far and be overly obsessed with it. And jealousy can be unmerited and silly, of course. But I think what's at the core often of this jealousy crisis is that security of love that has become rather insecure today. And I share that from the perspective of, I was talking to a friend. He said, what should a husband not do to cause his wife to distrust his love for her? I was talking to Devin Shett, who's a regular guest here on Trending. And it was interesting because my first response was, well, watch your behavior with other women. First, never be alone with a woman who is not your wife. Now, everyone has workplace environments, but let's keep that elevated integrity. You know what is and is not appropriate in terms of being alone with some of the opposite sex. Uh, there are, sure, plenty of circumstances that you could say, well, what about this? What about that? Okay, there are simple explanations for things, but there are also, I think, moments of encounter where you have to be careful and be aware of your own behavior. So, and I'll give an example. I I remember last year, I was at an event, and I was traveling, and there was a, um, a long distance between the place where I was staying and where I needed to be that day, and I knew a bunch of people who were going to the same place, and all of them were men. I wasn't going to be, like, afraid to ask someone, hey, can I catch a ride with you if it's on your way? And I did, and it was funny because there were some people who were really awkward about giving rides because there was this idea of, hey, don't be alone with someone of the opposite sex, which I'm all about. But there's also this side of, okay, maybe it's a three, four-minute car ride. I was seven months pregnant. And you can help someone and give them a ride to the place they need to go. I think context is everything. We shouldn't be justifying something. That's when it's a problem. But having a culture of honor, respect for your wife, for your spouse, but also for other people as well. And I keep thinking of this idea because I was recently talking about Lionel Messi, who is a famous soccer player, one of the highest earners, has deals with you name it to everywhere, I think from Nike to many other sporting goods. And he is known for looking very awkward in photos. And it came out earlier this summer that he actually doesn't touch other women or touch women other than his wife when he's taking a photo. And he has been photographed with some pretty incredibly beautiful women, we could say, from society's eyes. And he doesn't touch them. He'll have his hands in his pockets or just, you know, try to pose without having physical contact. And I thought that was really fascinating. Uh, I had a whole discussion. I'll link to that episode here on Trending about whether or not you should touch other people in photos. It was interesting. But I think that what stood out for me about Lionel Messi and even people such as Vice President Mike Pence, who doesn't go out to eat alone with other women, is that this is building confidence and a sense of honor in your spouse, that she can respect and love you and know that you're respecting and loving her because of how you comport yourself. And I think this is key because love is an action and our actions can actually cause the people we, lo we love to be jealous or to seek out a sense of security in relationships other places. And so if someone asks you, well, what happens if a woman's feeling insecure and being loved? Well, she can look for attention other places. 
She can look for that emotional security in other ways. It could be with a friend or family member of the same or the opposite sex where she starts to rely on a disordered sense of dependence on feeling loved, on actions of others. It could be as simple as someone who checks in on her and she becomes too dependent on that check-in because there's a lack of security in her relationship with her spouse. And so is it? it's causing two things, both her dependence on another human being that is slightly disordered, and it can also lead to a sense of jealousy toward her husband's interactions with other people. And so this whole idea of jealousy is, I think, a nut that many husbands and men just struggle with. It's baffling. And I think women, they're just a mystery. I'll never understand it. But jealousy really isn't about jealousy often in marital relationships. It's about the fact that the woman fundamentally has this deep core need to be loved and to be confident and secure in that love. And sure, there can be wounds from the past that can be preventing her from understanding that she is secure in that. But I think the society we live in justifies a lot of behavior between men and women that doesn't show a culture of honor and respect toward our spouse. And that's key. You might think, well, is it really that big of a deal? It is. To have your spouse be so confident in the love you have for her, to have your, conf- your, your wife be confident in your behavior, never calling that into question in a culture where pornography is normalized, in a culture where half of marriages don't make it, in a culture where infidelity is common, yes. I think when that's the mode of operating that's surrounding you, there's also that influence of women saying, well, am I okay? Am I safe from it? I've heard women say, if that relationship's struggling, if that relationship fell apart, who's to say that mine will? And I think this is where the grace of Jesus Christ is so important. Here we are talking about concrete things, steps you can take to help your wife feel secure in your love and to not be jealous. Well, that requires grace. Grace to say, it doesn't matter. It's silly. She shouldn't suspect me to begin with. She should just trust me. She should. But are you also meeting those fundamental God-given needs that can be taken to extremes in a disordered way? Or are you recognizing that's a need that has been placed on her heart to know she's loved, to feel she is loved? Think about the words of St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. Isn't it fascinating that St. Paul's words to husbands are this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did Jesus Christ do? He laid down his life for his bride in a sacrificial way that was so extreme that it was bloody, bruised, that was beaten, taking upon him even the disorder of his bride, the church, right? Christ took on our disorder and our dysfunction to help purify our love. Even in the midst of our unlovable side, he still loved us. And so some people might say, well, my wife isn't acting very lovable. When we go to the altar and say that we'll love each other, we'll honor and respect in good times and bad, in sickness and health, for richer or for poor. Are we saying that, well, if my spouse does this, I will then love her. If my spouse does that, then I'll be faithful. No, you're promising unconditional love. And that's what we deserve as human beings. And that's what Jesus Christ showed us 
or called to show and give to others as well. You've been listening to Trending with Timmy here on Relevant Radio. Up next is a family rosary across America. Please pray for me. I will be praying for you. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. I've heard a lot from parents who have shared they're not giving their kids smartphones and they're sharing why. They're sharing what the experience has been like. Tomorrow, my guest will join me sharing about why she didn't give her kid a smartphone, actually two of her children now, and what happened when she did. It's interesting because I think there's a lot of tug and pull for parents to decide what to do about the cell phone, both in their own lives and the lives of their children. So join me with Melanie Hempe from ScreenStrong.com, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.